Hey, fellas. Hey. Howdy. It's nice to see you again. Bubs, you've been doing a lot of traveling lately. Where have you been? You both have. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Bubba's oh, more. God. Yeah, we've been traveling a lot. Um, I went on a honeymoon. I should honeymoon. say my honeymoon. I went on a honeymoon. Sounds like I crashed <laughs> someone else's a honeymoon. <laughs> honeymoon crashers. Wow. It was great. I thanked the couple for having me. Then I left. Um, <laughs> no, I went on my honeymoon. We went to two Hawaiian islands, Maui and Kauai. And just this past week, we went up to Vancouver to see mom and dad. And AJ flew out. Is that in Canada? Yes, Vancouver, British Columbia. I bring up all the travel because there have been two iconic movie locations that I had the great fortune of visiting um, on both trips. The first place was on the Nepali coast in Kauai. You would recognize the Nepali coast from one of the opening shots of Jurassic Park where the helicopter comes in. Exactly. So we were on a little boat ride along the coast and we were looking at this beautiful valley that that helicopter in Jurassic Park flies into. And um, our captain told us that that valley is a very spiritual, very sacred place where the chiefs of Kauai, when they died, a companion to the chief would carry these bones up and into the valley, lash themselves into a rope or something and rappelled down these crazy steep cliff walls to find a little nook in the cliff to put the bones and just lay them to rest. And then as a final kind of act of uh, a fealty, I guess, they would cut their own rope and fall to wow. their death. So, oh so basically God. this valley that is like... They filmed yeah, Jurassic Park. Okay. This valley that is like iconic from Jurassic Park. Did they know about Jurassic this when Park. they filmed? I, they did because they needed, they needed like some priests to accompany them or to like okay the, sh- the shooting, oh I guess. But but how crazy is that? Like we're all like, oh, it's the valley from Jurassic Park. But meanwhile, there's like thousands of remains in there. I will never watch that shot the same. Yeah, it's insane. Wow. The other thing is, uh, so we, when we were driving up to Vancouver, we stopped in North Bend, Washington, which is the location of the Double R. Dun, 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 dun. Nice. Boom, boom. The what? Boom, 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 boom. Happening. Boom, boom, Yes. The Double R Cafe, which is a iconic location. Rest and relaxation. Yeah. We went to the Double R Art Cafe actually exists. It's a cafe that uh, is now under new uh, some new management that has changed the name to Tweeds. But we went in. Wait, did we say what from it's from? Twin Peaks. No. Sorry, from Twin Peaks. <laughs> it's from Twin Peaks. Twin As Peaks. someone who's never seen Twin Peaks, I don't know what oh. you guys known, are talking about. Yeah, oh. they're known for, in the movie, or in the movie, well, in the movie, yeah, in the movie and in the show, they're known for their damn good coffee and their cherry pie. This is, excuse me, a damn fine cup of coffee. Okay. I had some pretty good coffee and Iconic. Uh, some very good cherry pie there for lunch and it was just a, it was a weird thing because it was like, this feels so familiar. Did but you it, feel like you were in the show? Kind of. I guess the the reason why I want to talk about it is like, it felt uncanny, you know? It felt like, I love this place. I have a relationship with this place, you know, when I watch the show, 
and Jurassic Park when I watch the movie, but like in real life, they feel like they feel kind of unreal. You know what I mean? It's kind of like meeting uh, your idols in real life, you know? A celebrity. Yeah. Yeah. So in a similar kind of fashion, something that you enjoyed consuming and that you went to visit, I did something similar. I went to see my girl, Taylor Swift. First of all, the girl performs for three and a half hours, three nights a week. And, she's a and one of the days it was pouring rain. Not on her, I'm Guys. sure. You can't strum a guitar in the rain. She dances. She has amazing costumes. She's got crazy sets. She writes all of her music, she performs it. She plays the guitar. She plays the piano to a crowd of 80,000 screaming girls. It is just such a cool little show of believe in yourself, persevere. She little. fights for- Was that Gillette she, Stadium? I know, but she fights <laughs> for her rights. She doesn't let anyone screw around with her. And she creates all these new processes and these new rules. And she's like- you can't sell my music. That's my music. I'm going to re-record it. I do like that. I do like the re-recording. I mean, like, fight for your rights, people. Do what All Taylor right. Swift does. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I just, oh, my God. I love her. And that's all. Uh, very good. And she did very live good. up, unlike your diner. Listen, the things live a- up. Amen. They're just, they have a different life. I know. They're right? different. They different but life. in this case, it was better than I could have ever imagined. Cool. You know what was better than I could have ever imagined? What? A little movie called Molly and Max in the Future. <gasps> Me too. Listener, have you seen it yet? Probably not. Probably not. Should you see it when it comes out? Yes. Absolutely. Do we have the director of this film here with us today to talk about this movie and his career? Yeah, we yeah. do. Why don't we go talk do to him? Do we kind of Let's step on top of every ending of his sentences? <laughs> yes. Yes, we do. <laughs> Always. Yeah. Are two of our hosts missing their voices? Yeah. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> but bear with us and listen. He's crinkling <laughs> over there. What? What are you doing? All right. Bubba's going to put it in a cough drop. In the hot candy. <laughs> oh, then, come on, Someone. listener, join us. Oh my Here science! We Welcome back to Haunted Basement, the podcast. I'm AJ. I'm Bubba. And I'm Ashley. We're siblings and we run a production company called Haunted Basement. And this is our podcast where we talk about the movies, music, and pop culture that inspires and influences our video work. Today on the podcast, we have a Brooklyn-based filmmaker and cartoonist who was born and raised in Los Angeles. His debut feature film, Molly and Max in the Future, is a sci-fi rom-com that had its world premiere at this year's South by Southwest. The film is part When Harry Met Sally, part Rick and Morty, and fully absurd and unique in tone. Michael Luke Litwack, welcome to the basement. Hello, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. We're so happy you're here. So, Michael, I saw this movie at Lower East Side Film Festival, and I was just 
blown away at the inventiveness of the film and also the ambition of taking on When Harry Met Sally, one of the top five rom-coms ever, and saying, I want to do something new with this formula. And I'd just like to hear what the writing process was, taking that sort of source material and making something new with it. What that was like for you. (laughs) Really excited someone out there. New York. (laughs) Um, That's the the sound of Michael's motorcycle peeling away. Uh, I'll kind of start with like the spiel I normally give when I talk about the f- the film, which is that, you know, I kind of grew up watching big budget action adventure spectacle films and, and movies like Indiana Jones and Star Wars and Jurassic Park and movies that are really about kind of taking you on an adventure and, and providing you an escape into another world and that have like very high stakes scenarios and are very like plot driven films. And, and that's really kind of what my first love in filmmaking was. And um, you know, as I kind of got older and, and uh, grew up more, I, I kind of expanded my horizons and found myself kind of gravitating away from those plot driven films and, and finding more character driven movies like When Harry Met Sally and Annie Hall and, and like the Before Trilogy and movies about people just kind of living in New York and complaining about their therapists. A faceless guy rips off your clothes and that's the sex fantasy you've been having since you were 12. Exactly the same. Well, sometimes I varied it a little. Which part? What I'm wearing. I moved to New York to go to NYU and and um, I kind of realized that like I in the process of just making a bunch of stuff, I realized that I wanted to make movies that were kind of true to what got me into filmmaking in the first place, but also true to what my actual life is like, which is a lot more like the the latter of those two movies where my day-to-day life is not as exciting as those films I grew up watching. So I have always tried to write something that is kind of like a hybrid combination genre mashup of all of the things I love. And and I had a short film that did well and, and that got me representation. And, and then I spent Um, you know, like seven years kind of doing the coming up with ideas, pitching them to companies, getting them set up at a company, then spending six months developing that pitch. uh, And then, you know, maybe after that, spending six months negotiating a contract. And and then, you know, I was also working as a commercial director and um, trying to pay the bills at the same time. And before I knew it, like six or seven years had passed and I still hadn't made my first movie. And every year I wrote a new script and a new pilot and would kind of go through the cycle. And every time I'd get like a little bit closer, but something would happen and it would fall apart. You know, it's not an uncommon thing that happens to a lot of people, but um, I had a a movie that was a feature adaptation of my thesis film, which we called the, the Chaos and Danger short. He thought about the words he'd swung like baseball bats and about how life can sometimes strike like lightning and burn sand in the glass. We had been putting it together and we got some cool people attached to it and we had some financiers that were finally interested and and it took me a while just to write that script because I was still like kind of finding my voice but I I finally had had a script that I was like this is ready this is going to be my first movie and uh, then COVID hit and it kind of just completely sucked out all of the wind in our sails and suddenly the independent film like landscape kind of changed overnight and the people that we were were interested uh, just kind of stopped calling us back and um, you know we tried to kind of get things going again but it just wasn't happening and so I suddenly, like everybody during COVID, I suddenly had a lot of time on my hands and um, I just started rewatching some of my favorite movies. And and I think whenever I am feeling like I'm in a creative rut or just feeling like frustrated with 
with the film industry, I kind of just go back and try to watch something that inspires me and can kind of put some fuel um, in in the machine. And and uh, I eventually stumbled upon When Harry Met Sally, uh, which is one of my favorite movies. And I was watching it. And then like as a filmmaker who also like produces a lot of my own stuff, I was like, this is basically a mumblecore movie. It's two people talking <laughs> in different in different locations around New York and yeah. like no one would ever call it a mumblecore movie, but like at the end of the day, like it's kind of a mumblecore movie, um, but just it has a really strong like plot and a really strong like through line to it. And so on a production level, the concept of When Harry Met Sally is just very, very executable as to like what I have access to uh, in the sense that it's just two people talking and growing and, um, you know, challenging each other. Men and women can't be friends because no man can be friends with a woman that he finds attractive. He always wants to have sex with her. So you're saying that a man can be friends with a woman he finds unattractive? No, you pretty much want to nail him too. I kind of wanted to just take that format of what happens when two people meet each other at different points in their lives and uh, what are the contrasts between those points in their lives? You like to collide two people, both in this film, yeah. Ma- Molly and Max, and Chaos yeah. and Danger. There are and two people who, like literally colliding into each other. And there they were, uncertain of the future, of the past, of who they were, where they were, what they were, and why they were. You were writing this during COVID, and there's a lot of beautiful sci-fi landscape backgrounds throughout this film. And I can only imagine how long it took you guys to create those plates. Did you write this film knowing that you're going to have to like film a lot of this indoors, or did, did it change because of COVID? Because I am so involved in the production and because it was a small movie, I don't really write a location unless I know I can pull it off. I kind of start with like, okay, this is what I know needs to happen between these two characters at this point in the story. And then I come up with some ideas of like, okay, this could happen in a restaurant. This could happen here. This could happen somewhere else. And then I spend a couple hours or a couple days just trying to do research about like, okay, if I was going to do a restaurant, how would I build that in miniature? And then I go look at when Harry met Sally and, and I look at the restaurant scene and I like take screenshots and I look and see like, okay, well actually how much of the restaurant do you see? Like, I think this is might this might just be a flat and uh, like a window dressing, but like you don't really get a wide shot of the restaurant and that's okay. And, and trying to see, you know, doing very specific research of like exactly how much you need to see to buy that it's a restaurant. And then how would we actually like pull that off? Did you like Legos growing up? <laughs> I did. I can tell. <laughs> I still what, like Legos. What about Power Rangers? There's a heavy Power Ranger influence in some of this. Definitely. I think. It's so mm-hmm. good. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yes. No, I mean, Pokemon. I love Pokemon growing up. Um, you know, I, I, Harry Potter was a huge thing for me. Um, just everything like sci-fi, fantasy, Star Wars, obviously. Um, you know, all of that, I think, has influenced me. I want to talk more about the influences, but I just want to circle back quickly to your plates and how you shoot how you shot most of this film, like uh, with the efficiency that you're talking about, deciding just that you need, you know, just this frame, just this angle on a restaurant or something like that. My impression watching this, like 15 minutes in, I started realizing, oh my God, we haven't really, I know there there is a sequence um, of kind of megaopolis um, in the, in the beginning where we're just, we're seeing all those beautiful plates that you put together. 
but you don't get too many wise. You don't get too many establishing shots in this movie. We're often starting with just a two shot of Molly and Max talking and profile to each other. And it's really interesting that, you know, something that feels very confined on these two characters, like feels so expansive. So however you pulled off that magic, like absolutely incredible. Guys, yeah. I have a question. Uh, Ashley, Sorry. do you have a question? She has yeah. hands up. Ashley just raised her hand. Yeah. Uh, as a non-technical person, <laughs> yeah. what is a plate? You guys well, keep talking about Michael, that. do you want to explain? And also, <laughs> I would just love to hear more about how long it took you to film all of these plates because there are so many of them. Yeah, actually, and, and just to add even more complexity to that question, if you wouldn't mind walking us through how you actually built what you then shot as a plate and then how you either... And what is a plate? <laughs> and I, and, you guys uh, I know, are making me hungry. I, I've so, read that. This, oh, this is awesome. Yeah. I can show you guys this. This Beautiful. is so... Um, so this is like one of the buildings that is from... Uh, from the movie and basically like this was you know the 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 model base is um from amazon and it's like a model train base that you can buy for about five bucks and so we bought that and then assembled it and that and then we you know cut holes in the back and then we 3d printed a bunch of these miniature air conditioners and satellite dishes and little you know vents and stuff and then glued them on top of here and so what we would do is um you know we had i don't know 20 of these and we would stack them on top of one another and find different combinations and shapes of them and then we would um put them on an apple box and put a green screen behind them and then we take a photo of them and um that is essentially a plate and so does that uh, become a, a green of- screen so the green screen is is actually like behind it. And so we take out the green screen and then we can use this in whatever background that like we want. Oh, and right, so right. Okay. For the miniatures, what we would do is we would shoot them at a bunch of different angles with a bunch of different lighting conditions. And then we would combine all of those plates together and then combine those plates with other plates. Oh my and, gosh. and then that was how you built like an entire city out of that. And so- we would have city compositions with, you know, thousands and thousands of buildings, but a lot of them was the same building, but like moved an inch to the left or the right. So it doesn't feel like it's all copy pasted. And so we spent like basically 18 months building out oh all God. of the backgrounds. for. So for that was a pro of COVID for you that you could build that long. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like, it is so clear that you guys put as much effort and time as you could into this thing. Cause it's just, it's such a tactile environment. Listeners, when you see this movie, you're going to want to reach into the screen and just go into <laughs> Megalopolis and like touch all these objects and the buildings. So, so intricate. It's not just the the buildings. You, you were also designing like the ads that are kind of playing on these skyscrapers. And is that part of the 18 months? Yeah, definitely. I mean, and when I say 18 months, you know, we were we were working on it two or three days a week, like, you know, and uh, we would maybe shoot once a week or once every other week. And then we would oh, process Michael, now it. Now you're just bragging. And, oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we <laughs> we tried to like uh, but part of that was like we kind of called it like a digital Lego kit where it was like, OK, we know we need 15 advertisements and 
you know, that's kind of like how I came up with Glorp and and I was like, what's the soda brand? What's this? And and then part of that also kind of ended up influencing the story because then it was like, oh, well, we should integrate these into the into the movie somehow. And, um, you know, and then, you know, we tried to put there's a a thing called a parallel universe box in the film. And, and so we made a logo for that. And if you pay attention closely, you can see that in the background of a bunch of different shots leading up to it. And so a lot of it was just kind of like coming up with fun Easter eggs that we could, we could stick in the back so that if people ever watch the movie a second or a third time, they can be like, Oh, he, they're hinting at it. So I, I love doing little things like that. Could you tell us how you used Unreal Engine in this project? Explain Unreal Engine to our listeners. And, and, and this is, me. And Ashley. Yeah. Well, I, I'll say this um, because I, I don't truly know technically, but I'll just say that anybody that's familiar with The Mandalorian, Unreal Engine is a technology that was kind of made popular or even invented uh, by Jon Favreau and the creators of that show to create basically virtual worlds, virtual backgrounds, backdrops, plates um, that you could shoot against. And as you're, it's it's trackable. So as you're moving your camera in this virtual space, like the background is shifting and that's where I'm stopping because I, I don't know <laughs> what else to say. And but- that looks cool. <laughs> <laughs> that pretty much sums it up. Yeah, it's it's essentially like a video game like it, it it makes it so that you can connect the camera to a video game engine and uh, essentially like decide where you want to look. And so when you look to the left, it'll change the screen so that it is looking to the left. Um, and so it allows you to kind of create your backgrounds and shoot them in camera. So normally you would have a green screen behind you and then you'd replace that green with a with a digital background. But similar to like if you've ever seen an old movie with rear screen projection where the characters are driving a car and you can see stuff going behind them, it's like that. But if the car was in a video game and then if you turn to the right, you'd see what's to the right of the car or turn to the left. So is that what you use in like the city scenes? So we use Unreal Engine on everything on Oceanus, which is Max's home planet. Um, And so we only have three or four scenes that we used Unreal Engine for. and so uh, we chose that planet because uh, like the the technology is still pretty new and there's some things that I find it does better than others. And one of the things I think it does really well is like rocks and rock formations. And, um, you know, it's it is also such a new technology that like even since the time we shot this like eight months ago, a bunch of new things have kind of like been invented and it's gotten even better than before. And but a lot of it is like you can they have a bunch of free asset packs online. And so they have like a bunch of rock scans where somebody went to a canyon and they scanned it with a 3D scanner and then they put it up on the Unreal Engine store for free. And you can go there and you can download it and then you can make your own canyon inside the video game. Uh, awesome. And so that's basically that's so what we cool. did where we found these um, scans of like a a. a quarry um i don't know what type of rock it was but uh we basically found that and then just duplicated that over and over again and and um use that for all of all of the scenes but it it most of the stuff we did on the led stage was 2d plates so essentially similar to like i said old school rear screen projection where we would create an animated video and then we just play the video on the screen behind them and then they would sit in front of it. And so everything we shot on that stage, like once you once you shot it, it's done. You don't have to imagine 
what what's going to be behind them. And it's so much better and so much nicer than having to replace stuff the uh, the green screen afterwards. I'm going to ask a nerdy question, but is color correction difficult when you're using this Unreal Engine? Like, does it does the color of the background actually come through through the camera or do you have to amplify it? We did some tests and I'll be the first to admit that like Zach, our DP, was the one that really was in control of a lot of that. And he was the one handling a lot of like the technical logistics of that, him and and, and our LED stage partners. But like we kind of designed the plates so that we could modify them slightly if we needed to on set. And so we would put them up on the background and then we could change the contrast level a mm. little bit. Damn, you guys were so prepared. Oh my I know. God. Yeah. Also, AJ, that was a nerdy question. The whole conversation has been nerdy in a wonderful way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, to be honest, it was Zach designed the system and I was like, just tell me what to click. And, and Zach, uh, bravo. Luckily, bravo, yeah, Zach. He, he really was incredible. Hey. Hey, guys. Hello. Hi. I have a, I have a question for you. Oh, go ahead. Are you ready? Yeah, go ahead. Do you like merch? Uh, if you mean haunted basement merch, then yeah. Whoa! Do we have merch for you, baby? What do we got? We got shirts. We got hats. We got totes. We also have stickers. That's right, that's right. Listen, we've got the haunted basement ghosties on most of the merch. The Ghosties was a Bubba Serrato original design way back in, I don't know, 2018, when Honda Basement was the seed of an idea. And it's a cool little design that you can wear on your body. Put our logo on your body. So as a special thank you for being a Haunted Basement podcast listener, we are offering all of our listeners free shipping using the code... Boo. B-O-O. Boo. B-O-O, baby. Type in B-O-O, and you get free shipping. Free shipping. Go to our website, hauntedbasement.video, slash shop to check out the merch. Free shipping, baby. Boo. You know what I like to say? I like to say, pick it out and put it on. Pick it out, put it on. And represent. If you're enjoying this show, if you enjoy Haunted Basement, buy some merch, goddammit. And that's it. We love merch. We love you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Ciao. Be well. Ciao. Ciao. I'm going to ask a non-technical question. Okay. A rom-com lives and dies by the chemistry of the two leads. And the chemistry, not only of the two leads of this film, but the entire cast is just incredible. How did you cast this movie? And how did you collaborate with your two leads to get those performances? I had known Zasha through some friends. Um, she was in a friend's movie and my friend just had nothing but nice things to say about her, Sophie Brooks and uh, The Boy Downstairs, which is on HBO, and had been a fan of Zasha's work for a very long time. And she's so funny. Um, yeah, she's, I mean, she was my favorite character on Girls. Girls. What's your favorite utensil? Um... My favorite utensil is. I never thought about it. Wait, seriously? That's like insane. Like, what if you had to pick? I guess a fork. Okay, that is crazy. Like, why would you want cold metal prongs stabbing you in the tongue when instead you could have your food delivered into your mouth on like a cool soft pillowy cloud? 
What did you just say? It's so hard to play a character that can be very kind of impulsive and brash and like um kind of a bitch uh but but still like be so likable and just and so like have you can still find empathy within her and like just come off as a fully dimensional person at the same time and some of those qualities uh, that I just mentioned were like the things that I saw in Molly that like I was like I think she would would kill this so you know we we had a really amazing casting director that I've been working with for years that uh, has been trying to help me get my projects made Kate Geller and then Aristotle I had seen on SNL on a bunch of things and then I went and looked at all of his you know his guest stars on Silicon Valley uh hey Dinesh yes can I get the latest tech specs from you, please? I've already sent them to you five times. I don't really want to dig through my inbox, um, so if you send it now, it'll be on top. I'll wait. Wearable chair. Sending now. I was really excited by just seeing like what his range was. You know, when they shot when Harry met Sally, you know, Rob Reiner and Nora Ephron very much wanted to involve Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan in the brainstorming process. And so we did about five days of rehearsals with them. And that was a really great time because we could just, it's a low pressure environment. Getting to spend that time with one another was was really useful to, to creating that environment. This film definitely comes off as something that just seemed like a hell of a lot of fun to make and i love that you know if you're not if you don't have that suspicion while you're watching it you get a little taste of the making of at the very end with the outtakes um and i just have to say aristotle doing his thing in front of the green screen doing the (laughs) glorp uh i'm I'm guessing that was all improvised because he just was like making himself break at times it was just (laughs) fantastic that would have been a day on set that i would have loved to have been a part of (laughs) can we talk quickly about the influences i you've you've already touched on a few um this film to me seems like it is just riddled with little like references and allusions and you know I, i mean there's it seems like this amalgam of everything that you grew up loving and what i'm seeing i mean the obvious ones are star wars blade runner i i saw a little tron in the kind of in the the cyber tennis world and all that and definitely media. um you you said this earlier you said indiana jones was an influence growing up was that a temple of doom reference when uh turbo schmuck rips the heart out of uh, <laughs> our, our ryan seacrest character Loosely, yes, yeah, definitely. That, that moment in Temple Ocean of Doom Colgate. just terrified me <laughs> as a kid. Oh my God, I could not sleep for yeah, weeks after saying that. It's one of those things like I never want it to be distracting and, and take center stage, but it's always, I think, a fun kind of like inside joke. Um, and uh, people, if, if they notice it, uh, like one of them is at the beginning of chapter four, Molly's talking about being a goblin and she's dressed as like the goblin king from Labyrinth. Yes, um, yes, and um, the ending too um, of, I forget the, the Escher sort of um, yeah. landscape the there Escher. reminded me so much of the the ending of Labyrinth, which is one of my favorite movies with Bowie just like walking around the staircase.
yeah, that was, you know, that was another situation where I was like, I know that I want the quantum zone to kind of represent depression, but like, how do you, how do you represent that visually? And then I went and did a bunch of research and was like, okay, I think you can get miniature staircases, uh, are pretty easy to get your hands on. Um, so we can shoot that and kind of make a, make a landscape out of that. What is it like working on new projects while trying to get your film, you know, acquired for distribution? Is it sort of like you're being pulled and different directions so at the beginning of the process when we were doing lots of outreach and and reaching out to companies it it took a lot more time but now that we're like farther down the road um like i can work on other things now so it's nice to get back into it because i you know spent there like there was those like six or seven years where i was writing a new script and a new pilot every year and i think i got like a little bit burnt out on just like writing stuff that didn't get made and so then uh, when I decided to make Molly and Max, I was like, instead of writing a new script and a new pilot, like I'm going to just go build all these miniatures and do all this VFX. And so I've been kind of stuck on a computer just, you know, pushing pixels, which is fun. And you get your hands. It's like very hands on. But at the end of the day, like I really do love writing and I haven't been able to like write new things for the last like two years. Um, so it's really nice to get back into it. Perseverance, guys perseverance. Michael, why is it so important to you to kind of show the behind the scenes material that you do show? Like at the end of Molly Max, as as we already kind of touched on, you have that really fun kind of companion to the end credits with a few outtakes, but you also have a whole behind the scenes, uh, you know, companion piece for your thesis film for Chaos and Danger. So you seem like someone that is really excited to show kind of how everything is made and reveal a bit of your, you know, your, your tips and tricks, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm a terrible magician because I just want to reveal the secrets (laughs) immediately. Um, uh, No, I think, I mean, I think part of making movies is, is like, it can be so much fun. And um, I think like there's something to be said for, especially when it's an independent film, like, letting people in on some of that fun, showing people the way that we did things is important to me because it isn't uh, just a a CG spectacle and there's actually very little CG in the film. And, uh, but people will see stuff and and they'll just assume that it's CG because it looks good. And being able to kind of like pull back the curtain and show like, oh no, this is all handmade. I think it, it does influence people's like perception of the film. And then also, you know, letting them know that it was done by you know 90% of the visual effects in the movie were done by me and Zach and I think that also kind of helps you know set the stage of like I think people are kind of sick of watching giant VFX spectacles and you know our our visual effects are kind of more rooted in handmade practical uh, stuff that feels kind of like personalized and imperfect I think that having the lo-fi um, kind of element to it allows people to focus on the story and the characters and you're not focusing on whether or not like the edge of a spaceship looks real and you're kind of like oh this is there's a suspension of disbelief and there's like a distancing effect that I think is really helpful because it, it makes you re- reminds you that you're watching a story and that yeah. you need to it's okay look at that they're not really in space exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs> hashtag lo-fi for life players 
Um, but okay. so my All last right. question is not a question, but rather <laughs> hashtag post it, baby. Hashtag. I'm bringing it back okay. a few years here, people. Hashtag. Okay. Um, so okay. what's your what's your question, Ash? It's not a question. It's just a comment. I. I am going to try to make my children say, oh, my science, oh my instead science. of, oh, my God, because that like oh had science. me cracking up. <laughs> or like when they were like, oh, science. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was so funny. So very well done. And I'm going to try to implement that well, in my household. Started. Yeah. Thank you. Start I'm honored. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Quick hits. Quick hits. Let's do quick hits. Favorite action set piece from a Spielberg movie. Oh, the Indiana Jones tank in Indiana Jones uh, Last Crusade. Last Crusade. Him on the tank. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a, it's just brilliant. It is very good, and it's like, is he going to be crushed against this wall? And he doesn't because he's Indiana Jones. Yeah, and then just them fighting on top of it. It's great. Mm-hmm. What does Glorp taste like? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Coca-Cola. Oh, okay. All right. Mm -hmm. Sign me up. (laughs) What is your favorite rom-com couple? Probably when Harry and Sally. (laughs) Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Um, Big influence there. I'm trying to think maybe maybe from before before Sunrise, Jesse and Celine. I don't know if I've ever seen that, guys. Oh, you got to watch it, Ash. I actually haven't seen the Before trilogy at all. What? Oh, my God. They didn't tell me to watch it for years. I still haven't seen it. Oh, yikes. Okay. Okay. Favorite diner spot in Los Angeles? There was a place called Swingers on Lincoln and I think Colorado um that i loved but it's cl- since closed down and uh so now i think it'll maybe shift to mel's drive-in which is right off the 10 freeway one two three o'clock four o'clock rock five six seven o'clock eight o'clock rock nine ten eleven o'clock twelve o'clock rock we're gonna rock around what was the last film that you watched that really just struck a chord and that you haven't been able to stop thinking about there's a movie a british movie called all my friends hate me <laughs> it's so good and i'm telling everyone i know to see it um it's an indie film that came out i think like last year or the year before but it's just it takes like just the concept of like social anxiety and just turns it into kind of a horror movie there's not like gore or like scares but it's just like about the like feel the creeping feeling of dread that like everyone you know is like turned against you um and uh i think it was it's just one of the funniest movies i've seen in a very long time good wreck okay do we have any other well, hits, we've we... been having ongoing debate on, you know, is Hollywood dead? Kind of in the traditional big movie sense. What is your answer? I don't think it'll ever die. I think it's just evolving. And, um, you know, I think people are going to find ways to to make things uh, regardless of what happens because it's, it's uh, ultimately um, like, you know, the purpose of our lives. But um, it's... It's a, it's a scary time, I think, to be in the film industry, um, and it's always been an unpre- 
unpredictable kind of business, but um, it seems like less and less different types of films are getting made. Um, I hope that a variety of kinds of movies can coexist together, um, but uh, we'll see. Well, Michael, I think you provide a beacon of hope for a lot of young or old filmmakers who want to get something made and they can look at your movie and, and feel hopeful and excited and re-energized to try to get their thing made. So well done. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. The movie is called Molly and Max in the Future. Listener, when you have a chance to see it, please watch it and we'll talk about it. Yeah, watch Molly and Max in the future, in the future. Yeah. Get back to us. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for coming on, Michael. It's been yeah, nice chatting you. with you. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun. Bye, listeners. Bye-bye. Bye. Peace, peace, peace.